This is the Yay, I'm Reg Clay. Uh, Norman G is not here, so we have uh, Eric Johnson as my guest host. Hi, Eric. Uh, hi, I'm the guest host now. <laughs> nice. This is the Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. As always, we are sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Jans Leifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. I'm trying to adjust my mic and it is not cooperating with me. Oh, God, I'm weak. Anyway, uh, we have a special guest, uh, Heather Atlas. Heather, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for remembering me <laughs> after so many years. No, no, no. You are very, very memorable. Uh, you, um, if anyone who has, uh, we've, the show's been around for about seven years, the yay. Uh, this is our seventh year, and people may remember a poster on my wall. Uh, the marriage of Betton Boo, this uh, woman in a <laughs> wedding gown looking crazy. That would be Heather Atlas, a fantastic actress. Um, I want to say you're a creative because like, you're more than an actress. I mean, you've done so many um, interesting things with other theater companies, um, mixing uh, technology with uh, improv. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what, I mean, are you, would you call yourself a creative? Uh, I, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. That, that feels nice. <laughs> that feels nice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like I would like to identify, so thanks for that affirmation. Sure, sure. <laughs> it is funny, speaking of the poster, it's the f- first uh, thing you see, well, not the first thing you see, I noticed all the posters on your hallway and uh-huh. thought, wow, what a what a creative you are, what a powerhouse <laughs> in the Bay Area theater you are, oh, and then it's directly in front of you when you walk into the living room, and I thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> look at that crazy woman on the wall. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of the earliest posters because uh, a lot of the posters have been shows that I've been involved with, either tech or acting or writing, producing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is one of the first ones, 2001, and um, we had Raymond Ray on and Eric. You know, you of course you were Boo, you were Boo, yes. and Heather was Bet. Um, but 2001. Theater was different. The Bay Area was different. A lot of things were so different back then. Life yeah. itself was different. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, when Eric and I see each other at events, it's always kind of that awkward. We were married several <laughs> times yeah. on stage I, in I, the aughts. <laughs> yeah, I love to do that when we're at parties. I'm like, yeah, Heather and I used to be married. And you're like, what? I'm like, a lot of times. On stage. <laughs> on stage. <laughs> it's so funny. Well, how is everybody doing? Um, it's raining. I, I did some some morning grocery shopping and luckily I, I managed to escape the rain but how are we doing um you know post-pandemic uh, one of the things that happened on the news is that the who the world health organization says that COVID 19 is not a threat anymore so i guess we don't have to wear our masks anymore i guess but um but but i don't know how, how are we doing are we doing well um yeah i i mean i'm generally an optimist so even even through tough times, I try to see what the lessons are, where we're going to go as a as a collective, and yeah. and I don't know. I'm also you know a bit of a nihilist, in, in that. and I don't oh. think those two are mutually exclusive. And right. A nihilist just thinks that nothing inherently means anything, and so I joke that I'm a chipper nihilist because <laughs> I buy into the idea that it's all meaningless, but I feel pretty good about it. I, yeah. I make my own meaning and I, I tend to choose the positive. And so I look for, uh, I look for the, the little joys in life all the time. Yeah. I think of myself as 
maybe not a nihilist, but maybe an ex- existentialist. I do wonder, <laughs> okay, am I really up or am I still in bed sleeping, you know, challenging <laughs> our existence and all that sort of stuff? <laughs> I mean, there are all sorts of movie that gets into that, especially when the internet first came around. It's like, is this a digital world? You know, are we still in the matrix and all that sort of stuff? So when I think about nihilism, you know, like, you know, what is the purpose and the meaning of life and all that sort of stuff. And I think arts gets into a lot of that where we can dabble into, well, let's suppose we're in a different environment or reality or whatever. I did a play in college called The Dream of the Butterfly. And the big reveal at the end was, am I a man dreaming I'm a butterfly or a butterfly dreaming I'm a man? Yeah. See? (laughs) Spoiler. One play that I'm working on right now called The Magnificent Mr. Phelps is about a man who wakes up. But every time he wakes up, he is either an executive who's rich and has his own condo or he's homeless. And each act alternates. I'm sorry. Each scene alternates between the two until it resolves in the very end. So, oh, wow. So I'm steadily working on that. We'll see how it goes. This is what you're writing? Yeah, this is what I'm writing. I've written half of it already, so I'm going to focus on the other half, hopefully by the end of this month. So we'll see. Um, there have been some current events. Uh, right now, the coronation of King Charles, I don't know if any of us care about any about that. The um, <laughs> Prince Charles is now king. I know England is all for that. I don't even know why there is a such a thing as a monarchy anymore. I mean, I don't see what the point is of it. Yeah, I I I like watching The Crown. I think that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I hear Bridgerton is good. Have you watched Bridgerton? I have, and there's a new season out. I just noticed. I haven't started it yet. But yeah. I like to watch. Uh, Things when I'm exercising, that's how I get myself back onto the treadmill uh-huh. with my with, with my tablet, and yeah. uh, that's my motivator because I don't have a lot of time to watch TV otherwise. So, yeah. so that's kind of my extent. And I love history, which is fascinating. Me too. To to look into you know how we got to where we are, but mm-hmm. as far as like the relevance of the monarchy today, I don't know. I don't I don't know that it's all that important in my daily life it's not important in my daily life i understand the concept that it gives people a sense of pride about their country yeah you know it personifies the yeah their national you know pride for that what's interesting to me is i mean as americans there are some americans who are very much anglophiles they're you know very much into oh what the what are the british doings you know it's almost as if the british are superior or whatever every time we hear a british accent you know, we get googly eyes and all that sort of stuff. I just don't understand the holding on to that sort of stuff in the monarchy and yeah. and and the money that Prince Charles is getting from his from his um, I don't know from the from the British people for really doing nothing. I don't know. And, and for many people in the world, it's a symbol of oppression. Exactly. And the cannoli. The cannoli ah. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy. Another thing that happened in the news: the U.S. Surgeon General has says that loneliness is an epidemic in America, which I found um, a bit shocking, although we're coming out of COVID-19 and we've had to be, um, you know, cooped up in our homes, working from working from home and all that sort of stuff. And I don't know if, you know, the younger generation are having an issue with um, being non-social or just being social via online. Do we have any thoughts about, I don't know, just the the concept that loneliness is an issue? Um, in in our country. I mean, you and I, Eric, we were talking off mic that people don't seem to socialize anymore. We were talking about how Nordstrom has closed. Uh, so people really don't go to the malls anymore. Theaters are closing. 
So people aren't really going to theaters anymore. Yeah. They're watching it via online. They're shopping via Amazon. But just people congregating. I mean, even I, I go to work maybe two days a week, which is great as far as, you know, saving money for a commute. But I like to look at people. I like to look at people and talk to people. And I don't know if that's a, um, in a, a thing of nostalgia or whatever. It's, and it's also a skill to talk to people. Yes. And people have forgotten how to do that. I mean, me especially. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I do agree that there's a, an epidemic of loneliness. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I feel uh, really compelled to 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 help with, to be honest. I, I don't think I've shared this with you mm-hmm. uh, yet, Ray, but I'm actually going back to school right oh, now. Yeah. And I am studying to be a relationship and intimacy counselor and coach. I think that's fantastic. And I think you'd be great in that. <laughs> and uh, part of it is because I do see that people are having a harder time connecting mm-hmm. with each other. It is a skill that's learned. And especially we've been estranged through this ongoing pandemic Mm -hmm. and we've been estranged prior to that because of the shift in how we do socialize we used to socialize Mm face-to-face and now we spend so much time socializing through a screen which is different screens don't give us the same reaction we're we don't learn how to read body language and all the nonverbal communication through posts Mm -hmm. you know and yeah uh so some of those things that you don't realize you're learning mm-hmm. as you spend time with people, relating, having conversations, we have a, we have a, a kind of a dearth of that now. Yeah, and you know what's interesting as artists, I mean, all of three of us are actors, or we, you know, we studied acting. That's sort of our business. I mean, that's the thing. Look at somebody in the eye, and we've had all of these, you know, trainings of you know, like communicating, you know, communing. And connecting, look in someone's eyes before you, you know, give your line. Can you read what they're giving you? You know, their energy, all of that stuff. I mean, I remember going through all sorts of studies of that and having all going through productions where I'm having to connect with my partner. And I would think that is probably the most when I talk to younger folks, like, let's say my brother, I have a younger brother and nieces and nephews and, you know, what does it take to be an adult? You know, what does it take to succeed in life? If there were any other thing other than coding and learning what the latest trend is, I would think communicating is the most important thing. Whether you're a, a lawyer who has to, you know, communicate to the jury that somebody is innocent or guilty, or you're a salesman, you have to make that sale of that house or whatever it is. Even in intimate relations, talking to your husband or boyfriend or girlfriend about how you feel, they're so essential. Mm-hmm. And I would think that you would learn that in, you know, elementary school or, you know, like um, preschool, kindergarten. You know, you talk with a friend, even if you don't get along or let's say um, you're from a different culture. You learn to to deal with that. And the earlier you deal with it, then the better you will be as a person socially. That's that's how yeah. I generally think. 
Well, kids are spending more and more time on screens yeah. also, yeah. which is an issue. Yeah. Like, there's studies that show that... You have, you have a young one, too. I do. I, and he hates how much I limit his screen time. <laughs> <laughs> he rails against me. He's yeah. like, how, how old is he? He's six. Uh-huh. And, uh, but I, I care a lot about, um, you know neurobiology and how the brain develops and social mm-hmm. skills develop it's yeah i'm a super social person yeah and uh so the pandemic was difficult for me and not being able to spend time with people i've because i have organized a lot of events mm-hmm. i've produced theater i'm used to bringing people together it's right. my passion like yeah whether it's in an artistic way with the theater companies or mm-hmm. if it's just i've hosted a lot of parties yeah. i put together events with music and so it was it was tough in that way to not have face time with people Mm -hmm. but with my son it's very important for me to to go against the tide of how easy it is to just plop a kid in front of a a screen Mm -hmm. because even when it's an interactive thing or um, quality entertainment like a Sesame Street or something where it's educational the studies show that if there's not a reaction on the other side Mm -hmm. They're not learning as well. Like right. you could have, so even a Skype or a Zoom conversation is better than than one way passive video. Yeah. So the study, for example, is they took a bunch of children and had a high quality educational program with puppets teaching them how to peel a banana, mm-hmm. and then they just had a boring old person on the other side of the screen interacting, responding. There's a two way conversation with body language, how to peel a banana, mm-hmm. and the kids that learned from another person, their skill was like it, like exponentially faster learned. And so I think we do, we need to relate to other humans and to bring it back to the yay. (laughs) (laughs) What's beautiful about theater is it is that live experience. The Mm. audience, I mean, we are consumers in a, in a somewhat passive way, but we're also, um, the, the actors feel the audience's energy. And as a performer myself, there's such a difference when you can tell you have the audience with you on the journey mm-hmm. and you feel their energy coming back at you than yeah. when you're like, oh, wow, this is a dead crowd or <laughs> we are right. not nailing it tonight yeah. and they know it. You yeah, know? Exactly. <laughs> and Eric, Eric, I'll bring you in because, you know, you've been doing your improv uh, thing for long. I've not ever done improv. <laughs> you've never done improv? I mean, I think of the Twilight Zone or oh, whatever. Maybe maybe that's not improv. That is that's well just, scripted, scripted, my friend. But but I mean, as far as creating, doing the Twilight Zone thing, uh, you know the difference between you know an audience who is engaged and who's really really connected, yeah, and uh, and those that aren't. But even on the bigger scale of things, do you think? I mean, I'm thinking that people aren't socializing enough, or maybe younger folks are like, well, I'll just do it on screen, or I just won't you know leave home. I'll just do it. Do you think that's an epidemic or do you think this is just um, a newer way of younger people to communicate in a way that we as Generation Xers don't? Yeah, that is a good kind of argument that we sound like the old when we're like, oh, back in our day, we talked <laughs> <Yeah>. to people. <laughs> um, and, I'm, and, and I'm sure that people who are younger have uh, beliefs mm-hmm. about like, oh, but we're more efficient or like we, we can multitask better. Right. And so they see skills in it that are beneficial to them. Yeah. And so we're, we might be reflecting our biases, mm-hmm. but overall, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it does feel very different when there isn't this, there isn't the same sense of connection that mm-hmm. you feel that we felt before and yeah. it was amplified by the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, 
we would play throw up tackle, you know, throw up touch, you know. Wait, I, you, wait. You, well, not throw up as far as yeah, throw yeah, up. Yeah, that was, I had that you, t- you take a ball. No, I was going to make a joke, and then I thought, oh, that's not, uh, that's not very good. It was not well phrased. It's yeah. not well phrased. But I mean, just socially, us kids would just take a tennis ball and throw it up, and the person who gets it, everyone else would uh, just tackle them and whatever. But that, just socially. That does not sound fun at all. No. <laughs> well, it, 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 we had a blast. Okay. <laughs> Those are the days we could just crash into each other and, you know, maybe break a bone or a nose or something like that. You are really not silly. <laughs> I, I don't see you playing yeah. throw up. No, no. I can see you throwing up I'll after that game. Oh, right, exactly. <laughs> right. But, you know, like getting on our bikes and riding yes. and yes. things like that. I mean, sure, we had the Atari and we had the Nintendo and the Coleco. But even then, we would break, bring it to somebody's house. Hey, let me hook up, hook it up to your TV mm-hmm. and still play and still we, we're actually physically with one another. So... Um, I don't know if we're missing something. I don't know if, if younger people are missing something by not, um, I don't know, communicating, you know, or just being socially being with someone like the mall, just hanging out at the mall. Where do people hang out at? I don't know. I think events are going to come back. I think that we're we're hungry for it. Mm-hmm. Maybe the way of retail brick and mortar shopping is is not coming back because mm-hmm. it's just it's expensive to run that way yeah uh, but i think that people will come back to gathering i'm going to a birthday party tonight right on. i went to a birthday dinner last <laughs> night very cool and uh I think but even it, clothing shopping do you still go to a store to try on clothing oh or no, do you, no 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 just on amazon <laughs> Um, well, I, I make a lot of my own stuff. Oh, there you go. I'm a creative, there you and, go. Uh, but, um, but you know, I actually, one of my gigs during the pandemic was for a clothing retailer on Valencia street in San Francisco okay. that closed the shop. And, um, I was, I became a live stream fashion talk show host for them. Wow. So what that. we did was, um, uh, we did a we did a daily fashion show. That clothing brand, one of their um, their kind of uh, uh, gimmicks, I guess, mm-hmm. for lack mm-hmm. of a better word, was that they released uh, new things all the time. Mm-hmm. So it, so it might be the same cut of a pant, but in a new pattern, okay. and lots of different patterns on the same on the same style mm-hmm. or different tops. So every day there was some kind of new release or we do a roundup of the month's releases or there'd be a sale. But every day I did a show mm-hmm. where I would wear the clothes and I would put on different outfits, talk about the outfits and it was it was interactive. Women yeah. would watch the show live and send in questions and comments. Yeah. Wow, and then really there was cool. this yeah. whole community of women created uh-huh. to that kind of knew each other all yeah. over the world and mostly in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, who were like, oh, Lily, you would look great in that top. Purple is your color. So they're not even necessarily talking to me. They're talking to each other because yeah. they know each other through the online community. But they're community. reacting to what you're putting but they're, on. And they're saying like, Heather, can you go put on those, uh, can you put on the pink pants with, with that top? Because I have those pink pants and I want to see what it's going to look like if I buy this top. And yeah. So, that is the future. It's the future. And I had a blast doing it because I love clothes. I love yeah. talking to people, and I'm a performer, mm-hmm. and, I, and I got paid to do it. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but as the pandemic wrapped up, and people uh, did start going back into shops, and mm-hmm. then this this company, they just realized it was kind of an expensive thing to to maintain. Oh, okay. Uh, and they they needed to really 
uh, streamlined to the most profitable yeah. channels for acquisitions. <laughs> yeah, but at least one brief moment they gave it a shot. Yeah, for a couple of years I had a great time playing mm-hmm. dress-up on TV. <laughs> <laughs> and to their defense, it was probably the best thing they could have done under the circumstances. It was really fun, thing. and it was it was a great way to keep their community engaged and to to grow as a mm-hmm. as a kind of a social experiment. Yeah. In this, uh, in these extraordinary times. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm, I'm proud they took the chance and took the gamble because a lot of companies are just so conservative to uh, to even new ideas. So, so Yeah, and it was, it was fun. We got to partner on once a week with other businesses and mm-hmm. we would do these collaborative shows. So we'd have like a skincare business or even a, a, a winery came in and we did like a wine tasting and yeah. and then the, the vintner like wore our clothes and yeah. <laughs> I drank her wine. It was great. Because when you think, <laughs> when you think of, there are a lot of YouTube channels where you have younger folks who do like I see a lot of young uh, ladies, they'll say, well, hey, I tried on these nail polish or I, I bought this pillow <laughs> or I bought this. Matter of fact, when I bought, so the chair that you're sitting on right now and the sofa set, I actually went on YouTube first and there's a woman from in, I think, Texas or whatever. It was like, oh, yes, I put this thing together, me and my husband, and it fits well. And it was a review. And I was like, okay, now I know that I want to buy this. So yeah. I went and bought it. So. It definitely works, but it sounds like that's sort of the same thing. Yeah, but also, were, it's interactive. They were taking that kind of influencer culture, right? Uh, someone that is believable, mm-hmm. uh, you know, fun to watch. I yeah, fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, and unlike and then, YouTube, it's interactive where they can actually say, "Hey, Ella, yeah. can you do this? Can you do that?" And and so there's actually more and more companies doing this, and now there's like a, a side company that creates the software for mm-hmm. the interactive chat part of it, yeah. and the video hosting, and so, yeah, maybe that, and, and now Amazon actually has those uh-huh. channels. They're kind of buried. They're not really pushing it on Amazon, okay. but you can find Amazon Live or whatever it's called, Interesting. where sellers, Amazon's not producing them, but different sellers yeah. can... can uh, basically have their infomercials for their Yeah, they products. can stream or, you know, do something stream. like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it looks like that may be the future. And Twitch is huge and, and Discord. Uh, Discord is what all the kids are using these days. It's mm-hmm. like starting as a gaming platform, but it's kind of taking over for Slack because Slack is charging now, I guess. Uh, I don't use Slack. <laughs> I keep looking at you because you, you I think of you as like the professional, like, grown-up. <laughs> okay, then. Heather's Wrong. looking at Eric, not me. Yes. <laughs> She's still wrong. But. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Slack and Twitch and uh, I do think of like, you know, gaming Discord and, and, and all of those things. People are, you know, using the Internet to just interact and combining different things. I was also thinking only fans, but, you know, that may, that may be a totally different, different thing as well. That's a different show. That's totally a totally different, different show. show. However, having said that, I have a channel on OnlyFans. You do? No, I'm... God, no. I don't know. I thought maybe you were, like, hey. you know, free legal advice. Or not free, like, subscription legal advice. Uh, on a fun note, uh, I try to pick up these uh, fun things, news. Someone threw hundreds of pounds of pasta in a New Jersey forest, and nobody knows. It's a mystery. So if the noodle falls in the forest, does anybody hear does it? Does anybody hear it? <laughs> I and did people not know are that. just throwing all sorts of puns and like, uh, I don't know. I can't think of the puns. It's but. so fusilli. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but a bump. <laughs> I did do improv. Yes. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I did do improv. It shows. 
So, yeah, and um, I also have the Gordon Lightfoot diet. I don't think anyone can. That's not funny. (laughs) That's not funny at all. That's the fun things. That's what I looked up. I thought, I did all these fun things, and the first thing I see is Gordon Lightfoot. No, I only have like one little uh, fun thing, Mm. but but that's basically it. So we can jump into an origin story. Uh, Heather Atlas, um, how did the theater bug bite you? Where were you born and raised? So I grew up in Portland, Oregon. Okay. And... One day in school, I think I was in, I don't know, maybe second or third grade, Mm -hmm. Uh, no context at all. Uh, Somebody comes into the classroom and they just call the names of like, I don't know, four or five kids. My Mm -hmm. name gets called. I go up to the front of the classroom. Then I get put on a bus. I don't know. I know. It's very ominous sounding. Um, And uh, we go to another um, building that I guess it used to be a small school at some point. Mm-hmm. And then I just go into this room and I'm like playing all these games all, all afternoon. And it mm. just seems really fun. Like they're having us do things like pretend you're walking on a tightrope and now throw an imaginary ball to each other. And now you're, um, you're, you're the mother and you're the daughter and you're going to, you're going to talk about, mm. you know, what. So uh, we were playing these theater games and improv games and mm-hmm. I didn't know. I just I was like, this is really fun. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, a few days later, I learned I was put into a talented and gifted program. And so wow. every Thursday, I got to go from my school to this other place and pl- play theater. And wow, it sounds like you were pre-selected. I was, yeah, my, I guess the teachers uh, picked kids, and there were kids that got to do the like science and tech stuff, and there mm. were kids that got to do. And now as a parent, I don't actually think this is a great program. Um, I think it tracks kids, and then it tells other kids that they're not right. talented and gifted. Yeah, yeah. But I felt special, and my mom thought it was really cool. And I think, you know, back in the Mm -hmm. 80s and 90s, that was a, a, you know, it was considered like, let's take people who are showing promise. And also, I went to an an economically underprivileged school, which I think is an even worse place to do it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like, oh, then the kids that are tracked into the. um, But I think at that Mm -hmm. point, their intentions were good, that they Mm -hmm. wanted to give kids with promise um a chance to have a place to excel yeah uh my philosophy now is that we should just give every kid a chance to exactly. but i'm you know also <clears throat> yeah how how do we do that i don't know how to answer that question yeah but, but it did give me a lifelong love of it that became the thing that i just knew from a young age i wanted to figure out how to do it for my life and thankfully i did have very supportive parents and mm-hmm. so i was gonna ask do you have siblings I do. Um, I have a, a somewhat unusual family tree um, in that. Uh, so I have one biological brother, mm-hmm. but uh, my my parents also ran a foster home when okay. I was a kid. So uh, my mom is very loving and warm and generous person and wants to help a lot of people. That's where you get it from then. And, uh, thanks. And, uh, and then uh, when I was out of college and my brother was out of college my parents decided to adopt some kids so I still have uh, three adopted younger siblings one is still in high school okay. and so you didn't grow up with them no I'm more like the aunt with them. okay okay um, but uh, yeah so I have kind of an unusual 
nuclear family, but, okay. uh, but they're, they're wonderful. And my younger brother, the youngest, uh, 17, and he's an incredible dancer. He nice. goes to the same high school that I went to in Portland, which is the Performing Arts High School. Nice. And uh, yeah, he just had a, a dance recital last night. Nice. Oh so you went to a Performing Arts High School just like I did. Um, oh, how, cool. how was that for you? Um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Uh, so in the late 60s, early 70s, Portland wanted to uh, integrate in a creative way. Mm -hmm. What they did was each of the high schools had a a specialty. Mm -hmm. So you could either go to your neighborhood school or if you wanted to study languages or uh, science and tech or... um, I'm trying to remember what the other ones were, but mm-hmm. performing arts, you you could bus over to that school instead. Okay. So I chose the performing arts school, and we had a, a really robust theater, music, and dance program then. <coughs> and in fact, in the upper levels, each of the, the companies at that level uh, would spend the first half of the year developing uh, production, and then the second half of the year getting to tour it. Nice. So wow. we did local tour to start with, and then we'd always have between... I don't know, three three weeks to... Like, the dance company was our most prestigious mm. brand, I mm. guess. Yeah. They were really incredible. And <clears throat> they would tour, like, internationally, which mm-hmm. was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we would tour... The theater company would tour in Oregon, Washington, California. So we'd go for, like, a week, come back and go to regular school for mm-hmm. a couple weeks and then do another tour for a week. And, and I just thought it was incredible. I loved it. Wow. And you were able to, um, to do your academics, keep your, keep on top of your actives as well. Yeah. The school was designed for that, for the upperclassmen. It was usually only juniors and seniors who would be at that, uh, in mm-hmm. those companies. Yeah. Um, occasionally you'd get the prodigy freshmen, especially like maybe in dance, you'd get sure. that like prodigy. Yeah. Um, but the you'd get these homework packets, and mm-hmm. you'd have to do your homework on the road, and okay. we'd have to do, like read our books and do our studies. Nice, and stuff. man! I would I would really love that. I mean, Duke Ellington School of the Arts in D.C. They were ambitious, but we didn't do tours and things like that. We did like summer theater, mm. like a street theater. But it sounds like that. No, that was a fantastic opportunity. Yeah, we had to like, build our sets, and then we'd have to load our. They'd always have to be collapsible in creative mm-hmm. ways and then we had kids that were really into that they'd be like yeah i'm here to like i like going to this school because i want to build sets and do lighting and <laughs> yeah like, yeah so you were one of those overall folks who uh did so you can build a set i like doing the costuming else. i i didn't mind building the sets it was i like doing the costuming and uh-huh. the shows and yeah and um yeah carrying the sets in and out of the bus uh, not my favorite part but <laughs> no, I, <hear> you. <laughs> I would do it what about college yeah, then I went to um, a performing arts school. I grew up in Portland, so I had this romantic vision of going to the East Coast for college. So mm-hmm. I went to Emerson in Boston. Very nice. And uh, and got a, a theater and creative writing uh, degree there. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, I traveled for a while, and then I ended up, I fell in love with San Francisco. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you how you got to the Bay. It's kind of funny. My friends, um, I stayed for a year in Boston, and uh, some friends of mine, uh, we were trying to figure out, you know, are we going to move to New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco? And one of my friends was, like, really pushed hard. San Francisco's got this vibrant theater scene. It's a really Mm -hmm. cool city. Heather, you're really into, like, alternative things. Like, I think you want to build your own thing, so Mm -hmm. I think San Francisco's a great place to do it. And, uh, And then he ended up 
falling in love in Boston and he stayed back, the one that pitched it and like created the oh, whole like vision for us. Yeah. <laughs> so the other three of us came and left him back in Boston. Ah, got it. And this was in what, the mid nineties or this was late nineties. Late nineties, yeah. okay. Around the same time I came here in ninety seven. Me too, ninety seven. Yeah. And it's crazy because when I came here the internet was very, very limited. I mean, when I came here, I basically found an apartment going on America Online. I just went on America Online <laughs> in the San Francisco chat room, and I was like, listen, I need a place to stay, because <laughs> there was no Craigslist. And no, there was Craigslist. Yeah, there was, I found my apartment oh, on I, Craigslist. Oh, oh, I didn't. <laughs> Except it wasn't Craigslist, it was Craigslist, because it was a secret, and no yeah. one knew about it. That's so why see, I didn't my cousin, know. My cousin lived in Oakland, yeah. so I heard about Craigslist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, people whispered its name. Yeah. I see. Well, before it became really, really well known, yes. I just jumped on the chat room yeah, and luckily... AOL, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I know. It was very, very ambitious. So that's how I sort of got here. But also just finding out about theater companies. Uh, someone had a bulletin board and they posted it on the bulletin board. I'm not sure if it was AOL or whatever saying, hey, I'm a part of this company called Bay Stage and I want, I need people to, you know built this company and so I jumped on and that's how I got onto the theater scene mm. what was it for the, I don't think I've even asked you Eric how you um, got into the theater scene here in, in the Bay Area well I'm, I'm a Bay Area native okay so that helped <laughs> um, um, I did I did live in LA for a couple yeah. years and but what was your first company coming here or, or first group or first show that you did here well I mean, I'm from here, so I never think of. Uh, but when I returned, let's go. When with, you returned, yeah. Returned, it was actually I, because I came back in 2000, and so um, I did a few shows before Bet and Boo, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the name of that company? I, I caught you off guard. Sorry for that. You did. <laughs> yeah, I'm going way back. Um, I, I, I did a show with Josephine the Mouse Singer, um, and, I, and they had a funny name, but they're, they're no longer with us. Mm-hmm. Um, the company that is. Yeah. Um, it was just a little small show that I'd, I'd have to look up my resume. <laughs> okay, don't worry about it. <laughs> what about you, Heather? What was your first show uh, do, uh, here, or how did you get involved in the theater scene here? Hmm. Gosh, I because it just wasn't as easy. Also, this yeah. is yeah. Yeah. You're, you're really pushing my memories here. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was a long time ago. Um, well, when I first moved out here, I actually got a job in the costume shop at Theater Works. Oh, nice. So it was, it was doing one of the things I love to do and mm-hmm. knew how to do. And that was a way that I could stay connected to the theater scene before I was making money doing it. Yeah. And then um, I think uh, I did a couple of shows at Theater Rhino. And, nice. Um, I did... Working with John Fisher. <clears throat> and then I, I met up with... Um, uh, combined art form entertainment okay. uh, and that's where I met Matthew Quinn and we started doing oh. Tilted Frame okay. so that was that was not right at the very beginning of my time here I'm trying to remember like the very first things I did yeah um, well how did you connect with uh, Raymond Ray oh I answered an audition in like Theater Bay Area yeah, th- oh that TBA was the, that <laughs> yeah. was, that, that's where I thought you were going like yeah, yeah we read a magazine <laughs> we read a magazine back uh, then <laughs> I, yeah, you know, I keep on forgetting because TBA, well, yeah. you know, I know TBA as their online forum. Yeah, I'll tell no, you. it actually used to be a print magazine. magazine. Yeah, I'll yeah. tell the youths, you had to go to a store in person and buy a magazine. Yeah. Or get a subscription and have it delivered to your house. Oh, wow, fancy. I know, I was a baller then. I paid it yearly. Oh, wow. No, I... <laughs> No, because what I would do is I would, if I wanted a show, I'd get that ep- that that particular you uh, know, month. But if mm-hmm. I was in a show, I'm like, I don't need it. I'm, I'm busy. Oh, but didn't you also read the articles? 
Uh, yeah. You I'll just be, flip to the back to where the, the, <laughs> the casting calls were. Yeah. I will have to explain to post millennials that there was a time where you had to actually buy, you know, papers and, yeah. <laughs> and I, magazines and things I, like that. I mean, that. if I bought that particular month, yeah, I'd read a cover to cover, but I wouldn't, I didn't get every month, so I missed out. Yeah. I think it came with the membership. I yeah, think I paid yeah. the $72 to be a card-carrying member of Theater Bay Area or something, <clears throat> and then I got the yeah. monthly magazine. Yeah. But yeah, so that, I know, and I know that's how I, I yeah. found it, was through the TV. Yeah, and I bring it up because I know with me, like, usually I would connect with another theater company because I'd worked on a previous show. Like, working with Bay Stage, I connected with a guy named Mike Ward, who was part of Isis Arts Collective this one you know a collective of groups or whatever and then we were rehearsing for that it was in the same space as another company uh eastenders repertory company yeah. and then i connected with that so i didn't know if it was the same with either the two of you yeah there's um, definitely not a lot of networking mm-hmm. in that yeah. way you see a show and or they see you and you get to talking with someone and mm-hmm. you, you find that there's vibe going and yeah. you want to work together and you can make it work and yeah yeah. I, or another. yeah a couple a couple years after <coughs> we, um auditioned for a show with custom made theater company and we did it and then at the end they said hey we like you um would you like to be in our next show i mean mm-hmm. so like it, that, that it kind of auditioned yourself yeah and then like after that like do you want to be in the company Aww. and so like and i'm still in the company there you Yay. go yeah. um, but that but back then it was definitely you you did a show and the people who you worked with were your network and they would sell you to other companies but like oh i know a person who can do that thing mm-hmm. um and so there very much was that it was just when, when you're in a small company and everyone <clears throat> it was very much the personal relationship one question I want to ask you, Heather. I know I ha- I came into you know theater like there's a certain concept that I have in my head. Like you know when I do drama, you know there's like I learned Stanislavski and a little bit of method acting and just a way of me thinking of what theater is or how I uh, do theater. Is it was it the same with you? Did you have a uh, a concept? I don't know. Coming out of Emerson College, uh, was there a a method? A method, yeah. Yeah, I studied the Linklater method. Okay. I worked with Kristen Linklater. She just nice. lot, yeah, I got to work directly with her, which mm-hmm. was amazing. While she was at Emerson, um, so it's a lot of uh, breath work okay. stuff. And then uh, in coming out here, I worked with. Bobby Wineapple and um, Richard Sade. Okay. And I don't know if he still teaches. This is ages ago. Uh, he Richard Sade was a well respected, and Bobby was his student. So I worked with Bobby a little bit, and then I went directly to Richard. And mm-hmm. that method's called the Trigger Method. Okay. Um, and I also studied a lot of improv, and that's what I built my company on. Mm-hmm. And so um, I studied kind of the the. The committee version of improv, like the Del Close, and mm-hmm. so I think there's a lot to be said for standing on the shoulders of our ancestors. A lot of people have invented some wheels, and and mm-hmm. we can you know ride those unicycles. Yeah. But I also kind of you know it becomes I think for each actor their own stew. You know. Well, sure. Yeah. I'm, sure, you have I'm to mixing find my own. metaphors there. But, <laughs> no, no, no. no finding uh, your it's own It's bicycle way. stew. <laughs> and, on shoulders. Um, yeah. <laughs> But when did you, I mean, there are a lot of people who get involved in theater and they're like, well, I want to do it for a little bit. Or let's say they have a uh, objective of being a star. I want to be on Broadway. I want to be on TV or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Was it the same with you? But you created a group. I mean, it sounds like you wanted to create a collective. I mean, what was Mm -hmm. your your goal, I guess, when you? Well, my goal when I did 
tilted frame was I have a real love for improv. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've taught it. I've like been to fun festivals for it. Uh, it's just to me, it's that uh, when it when it is great, it's so great. When it when it's bad, I, I know it's bad. But, sure. um, yeah. It's really it can be excruciating when it's bad. Yeah. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to bring together people who really had great chops who were really great at it Mm -hmm. and then do it differently like not do the the theater sports thing that you see on whose line it is in it whose line is it anyway where you're just going for the laugh and you're kind of throwing each other under the bus for a a cheap gag you know yeah um i wanted to take what i love about improv which is really tapping into that creative spirit and getting getting people in this place where they're create where they're like building a story together mm-hmm. that may be funny but it may be touching it may be sweet it may yeah. be uh, you know any kind of narrative but really dissect like what is a narrative what is the arc of a story mm-hmm. how do you build a character how do you yeah. like embody a character and how do you get an audience involved with it how do you get them as part of the creative process mm-hmm. so tilted frame was a completely different kind of improv company than you would imagine if you only watched Whose Line Is It Anyway on TV. Well, sure. I saw a show of yours once. I remember it was a long-form improv, Mm -hmm. and it was actually a very sad, depressing story. (laughs) It was, you you were in it, and um, I don't know who you were against, but you were a couple, and you were slowly falling out of love. Mm. Um, And it was just a story knowing in your head, they are making this up. This is like this is not scripted. They are literally just going with the beat and how it's slowly um, the arc's unfolding. Mm. And it was just amazing to watch. Going, I've seen worse theater that has been rehearsed to death, you know. And it's like, uh, like this is tragic, not funny. Did not laugh. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. I was just um, we interviewed. There's one named Morgan Pavey who used to work for Bats Bay Area Theater Sports, and she talked about. Because a lot of people do have this thought of, oh, improv is going to be fun and it's going to be, you know, hilarious. But you're absolutely right. Improv can be just spontaneous drama or just, you know, just spontaneous, just like life. Yeah. You know, like you go out for work or and then, you know, all of a sudden you're driving and you hit a, ba- a car, you know, a, a child or something. And then all of a sudden your life has totally changed. What do you do? It reminded me of a um, a exercise that one of my teachers had where you'd pick up a phone, you had no idea whether the answer is yes or no, and once the teacher tells you what it is, you have to just go with it, and you have no idea, you have to come up with a thought of what is the no? Is it, you know, you lost the baby, or, you know, your mother is in the hospital, or You're anything. not going to jail. You're not going to jail. <laughs> You've been drafted by Cleveland or something. <laughs> uh, so it's it's an interesting perspective as to what improv is. Yeah. So the the way that that we did it was um, we really got into before we ever produced a show. I took the company that that we hired through like a training course, mm-hmm. basically, because I knew that I had good people, mm-hmm. and so I brought in some of that um, background of really being able to drop into the experience mm-hmm. that you you learn in link later yeah and then in the the trigger method it's really being responsive 
like that's how uh, Richard said in um, the trigger method is, is that you're not, you don't memorize your lines. You really actually, you learn your lines, but you're really paying attention to what you're given. Mm-hmm. And then you have a response. Yeah. And then because you know your lines, you go, oh, it's that response. Yeah. But you're not just going like, okay, what's my next line? What's my next line? Sure. And improv is the same. You don't know what they're going to say, but you have an authentic response. Right. And so uh, we went we went through that. And sometimes it's hilarious. Sometimes it is absolutely funny because in the truth and comedy Del Close committee mm-hmm. world, what what that philosophy is, is you don't try to be funny. You just try to be truthful. Right. And when you tell the truth, the world is absurd. Yes. And yes. you're going to get a lot of funny shit. And yeah. so, um, so kind of blending those like together to mm-hmm. create this. And then we brought in that third element that we were talking about before the show. And mm-hmm. that, that company was created like back when the internet was young. And yeah. we, uh, one of the reasons that I partnered with Matt Quinn was he was so excited about the possibilities of the internet and bringing it uh, into the theater and what we could do with it yeah, with, I, the, with the tech. Right, exactly. No, no, no. So immediately after we did The Marriage of Bet and Boo, um, I think it was 2002 because we had a um, it was a we had a revival. What do they call it? A revival round. We we a reprise. A reprise. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Revival. I think is the right yeah. term. <laughs> but uh, and then you did a show immediately after that where a couple of us you know came to see it and it was and this is like in 2003 maybe 2004 maybe it was at Bats maybe it was a near I'm, I'm not sure where it was but you had all sorts of stuff. I mean there was uh, you were projecting. Uh, I think you were, from what I remember, you were looking online to see uh, people were posting yeah, things. Yeah, so <laughs> speaking of, of Craigslist, so we did, we had the whole back wall was a screen and we yes. had a projector. Yes. And we were <clears throat> projecting the live internet and then we also had video cameras mm-hmm. um, that the actors could use. Yes. So we could project the live video onto the screen. So we, we played a lot with like point of view and being able to be in other spaces mm-hmm. and then see actors like off stage in this other space projected live on stage. Mm-hmm. But speaking of Craigslist, one of my favorite pieces we ever did was we had this idea like, what would it be like if we just took these posts from the personals ads mm-hmm. on Craigslist? Yeah. And <clears throat> and we uh, created a character from someone who's really out there in San Francisco looking for love right now. <laughs> right. That right. was our, one of our Valentine's uh, time day yep, shows. Yep. And it was, uh, if we took, we had the audience, we put up this is exactly what's posted right now live on craigslist mm-hmm. from each of the categories men mm-hmm. seeking men men seeking women and the audience would pick which post we should choose the actor comes out on stage and has this monologue where they read the post mm-hmm. and then they might tell you a little bit more about themselves they go off stage the next actor comes on we do a scene maybe between those two another actor comes on reads their post mm-hmm. and now we have our cast of yeah. characters and how do they know each other how do they interact who's falling in love who's falling out of love mm-hmm. who's you know who's who who's the dentist of this person who's going to connect to the neighbor of this person and and then mm-hmm. and then we follow a long form story arc that can kind of bring them together yeah. have have a climax 
next, have a resolution, mm-hmm. and then it kind of looks like magic mm-hmm. <laughs> when it comes when it comes together at the end because we kind of know. Yeah. Know, I mean, you're a writer, so you know that there's some there, there's some like formats or some kind of story well, arc yeah, situations arc. you can follow. Yeah. And bring it together in a way mm-hmm. that you might you know have have a a lesson learned or yeah. a commentary on life. <laughs> I was just thinking. Go ahead. Um, at the same time, I had um, another group of friends, and we would go visit various like obscure dive bars, and we would do activities. And we uh, re- a repeating one we did was we would get around the room, and we would write fake personal ads for each other <laughs> or other people in the room, and then nice. we'd post them on Craigslist. And then when we met later, we would read what the responses we got back. And so I'm wondering, like, how many of our completely fake personal ads did you go, oh, yeah, that's the one. I love it. I wouldn't even know how to rehearse that. I mean, uh, it's... Well, we just did it. We rehearsed it doing mm-hmm. it. Like, just doing it. We just never did the same show twice. Wow. So we didn't We didn't rehearse like, okay, I'm going to get the freak on Casual Encounters <laughs> and I'm going to play that same freak tomorrow night. Yeah. You know, sometimes I got... My favorite one, one time when I pulled up the Casual Encounters mm-hmm. ad was it was, I'm looking for a friend with benefits, blah, blah, blah. And the character I made was that I was a hypochondriac uh-huh. and I really needed a friend who had really good medical benefits at their <laughs> company because I'm always sick with something. Yeah. And then it just turned out, you know, I'm a hypochondriac and what I really need is to feel love and seen. Yeah. And that's my motivation. Yeah. And so I find somebody who actually like makes me feel love and seen and suddenly mm-hmm. I don't feel so bad anymore. My favorite one that I wrote and I put on Craigslist was I have the Nutella, you have the tarp. End of paragraph, end of of post. (laughs) And I think that tells a whole story. I wish I had gotten that one. Six words and you've got a story, you know. So. Did did the audience respond? It sounds like you got a good response from the audience. That- yeah, especially because um, I think for some people it was just like the internet was new. We weren't seeing people do crazy things the way we see now. That you yeah. can yeah. you yeah. can type in monkey in a tree on a typewriter into Mid Journey and you have a like a museum worthy piece of art. Um, yeah. But you know it was back when it was young and we had to explain to people what a blog was like, that yeah. was a new term yeah and and then we were doing cool stuff with cameras and a lot of people might be familiar with um improv games so there's mm-hmm. the improv game pov mm-hmm. and um or rashomon it's called and a lot of you know that you see the same scene done three different ways mm-hmm. so we would literally do it with a camera and a pov we do this in the long form we just have this like kind of surreal moment mm-hmm. where There might be a scene where there's a major misunderstanding happening between Mm -hmm. two to three people. And we do the scene once, and then we would know as the actors, this is where we're going to bring the camera on. And we're going to see, instead of um, the actor doing her lines Mm -hmm. as herself, she's going to be the camera. And the other actors are going to know how she saw it. Mm -hmm. And one person's going to be shooting daggers right into (laughs) into the thing and going, you bitch yeah i know that you kissed him behind my back or like whatever yeah. when in the original scene she's like i don't know what you're talking about right <laughs> so uh so then you get this like psychological thriller aspect or something sure <laughs> or just absurdist you just get this yeah so not think you guys were just ahead of your times as far <laughs> as just uh taking all of these elements which were very very new to the audience and bringing it together um could it succeed now? I mean, I don't know if it's still going on now. I think I mean, we'd I think we'd need people from 
Pixar to get involved and <laughs> yeah. maybe people from Midjourney. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, in addition to the the technological issues, you know, that, that there is that advances. When we were doing this kind of weird stuff, it was there was no mold. Now there's there's a strong mold of like this is an influencer. This is what people know what to expect, and and so they have an idea what it is. We yeah. were just making up things. At the and end. I really do think that there's so much CGI. I mean, even now. A couple of weeks ago, there was an article about AI and how AI is creating art, where someone can just type yeah, that, in. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, in, it's incredible. I'm, yeah. I'm actually, I know people are terrified of, some people are very terrified of AI. I think it's fascinating. I'm really diving into what mm-hmm. it's capable of. But yeah. like I said, I tend to be the nihilistic <laughs> optimist. And so yeah, no, no, no. Like, no, it, it could be fascinating. Uh, and of course, I guess people who are worried, like there are some artists who are like, oh my God, is someone just going to, is AI going to write a song and all of a sudden you it know, producers it does. are going to sell that song and they don't need the artist anymore? Or uh, there's already been a movie, I think there was a Beowulf, there was a movie Beowulf where it was all CGI characters. There were no actors. Well, the actors who voiced it, but you know that was basically it. So I guess it's a tool. It's a tool if it's used in the right way. What I was going to say is there's so much emphasis on the technology for those who use technology as an art, but not so much when you talk about the spontaneity and the human nature of just, you know, looking at people and maybe using technology, but to react. You still there's still when you are on stage, we're still watching people. They may be reacting to what's posted on the internet or what's being streamed, but you're still pe- this. The element is still the people and reacting the same way that you and I are reacting right now, and hopefully that won't be lost. Yeah, I think I think especially in theater. Um, I mean, I can't imagine. I, I actually could imagine a robot show, but <laughs> it would be hard. It would be hard for AI to sort of infiltrate, you know, live theater. <laughs> Which which is a good thing. Maybe we could just get them in the audiences when you know if, if people stop showing up, we can we can just get robot audiences to clap for us. Laugh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, things get that bad. As long as they pay for their tickets. Yeah, but you're optimistic about uh, I guess you know theater. I mean, we, Eric and I were talking about how so many theaters have closed down. Um, yeah. What was the la- latest company that's um, Stageworks? Stageworks. Are they are closing in October? Yeah, and Dragon Theater is gone, and um, the flight deck, I think the flight deck will be picked up again, but they were down. I mean, it's just very hard to for theater companies to just fill seats in. Right, and um, the piano fight closed. Yeah, yeah, you know, that, yeah, that was, that was tragic. That was, yeah. yeah. I went to the closing night, and it was it was awake in the sense that everyone was there to tell a good story yeah. and remember fondly, Yeah, but it was the first time I've seen so many theater people in the same place at the same time. Yeah, I should have gone, just like I went to the exit. That's how, you know, yeah. I re-hooked up with you. But what do you think of the state of theater as of right now? Um, is it is it dying or is it transitioning into something else? Um, do you have a, a thought on it? Because I would like to think that people still want to see live theater. Yeah, it's. I feel like a hypocrite because I'm trying to remember the last time I went to see a show. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I'm a parent, and I. Yeah. I well, you have other obligations. You have other things I, going on. Yeah. Um, Which so, may be what's happening yeah, in the world now. Yeah, that's <clears> the thing. Um, I, yeah, I just don't. Uh, I don't go out to see as many things as I used to. And I think I'm still coming out of my pandemic slump of thinking of, of just like even thinking of it it's almost like it's like oh i haven't haven't done that for a while so mm-hmm. i forget that it's an option yeah um 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I I hope that it. I I hope that there's like a revival of it. I feel mm-hmm. like there's always going to be people who who love to experience it, mm-hmm. and there's always going to be people that love to produce it. And, yeah, and there's always going to be people who love to act and perform. Oh yeah. So I hope that. You know, this is just a sine wave experience. Yeah. I think one cool thing about COVID-19, I mean, COVID was horrible, but it's forced a lot of theater, some theater companies like the Tavern Theater are bringing in cameras like Playground San Francisco. I'm convinced that they're still around is because not only does Jim Kleiman allow people to, you know, act on stage and for writers to produce on stage, but they have cameras. People can stream a live theater productions is basically what, you know, you guys were doing 10, 15, yeah, 20 did. years ago. <laughs> you we guys just did, streamed been from, there, done that. from another room in the theater onto the, onto yeah. the, onto the, the scrim so that people could imagine she was in, <laughs> she was in jail or right. she was, um, <laughs> but that's but, a, that's an extension of that. Yeah. Do you think that, I mean, it sounds like that this may be a transition into, hmm. you know, the new wave theater. Maybe. I want to ask you, Reg, as a playwright. Sure. Um, something that bothers me is actually seeing how many Broadway shows are just movies adapted as musicals. There's a Disneyfication of movies. I, Patty, Patty, Patty Lapone, uh, she had a quote where she basically, I think she threw out her, um, she's not no longer part of equity anymore because she just feels that big Broadway theater has just become so Disney fun. And there are a lot of theater companies that are just afraid. They're afraid of taking chances. Yeah, it's mo- it's the money. Yeah. I know. I just find it... Easy money. It's easy money, but I think it's um, it's kind of this chicken and egg thing where uh, because they believe that audiences, well, they like the movie Mean Girls, so they'll go see Mean Girls the musical. Sure. Yeah. So they're talking down to the audience instead of producing the next great... Um, mm-hmm. You know, original yeah. play, the you know Evan Hansen. Sure. They, they are they are making you know mm-hmm. um, I don't know what it's going to be Avatar the musical or something, and yeah. so it's because they just expect and yeah. I mean it's kind of like the way I'm looking at this recession. We are I mean, coming into a recession. They think so. Google, Facebook, Amazon fire ten thousand people right. who now don't have money to spend on, at Amazon. So they, by firing their employees, they are creating the recession. So by creating Mean Girls, the musical, they're creating a generation of theater goers who only want to see the movie that they already watched done in song now. It's a a good point. Perception begats reality or, you know, producers will be like, you know. um, They're training you. Here are the statistics. So this is what people want to see until you bring them something totally new. I thought that someone like Lin-Manuel Miranda, when he brings in Hamilton, or Into the Heights, which are brand new musicals, yeah. would open up the eyes of producers to say, hey, we can take a chance. We can actually do something new and innovative. Yeah. And I, Freestyle Love Supreme. Yeah. That spoke to my heart because I yeah. love hip hop and it was all improv. <laughs> and I don't know if you've seen that show, but it's, yeah. it's brilliant. No, yeah, and yeah. they do the same thing, introducing an audience to improv. And I actually went to see, um, I went to see it here with... Uh, students that mm-hmm. they had it was like the the matinee on a thursday or something mm-hmm. and they uh so it was the school's the school trip yeah and in the q a after kids were saying like how do you even do that how would i be able to do that yeah and uh 
So that gives me hope that there's, you know, this yeah. generation that's like... I've always felt that there were two types of audiences when it comes to theater. There are those who are sort of the tourists who are like, well, you know, let's see a revival of, uh, or let's see, you know, Spider-Man the musical, you know, or something like that. But then there are those who really enjoy the black box theater. Mm-hmm. I want to walk into this theater. I have no idea what's going to happen. I just finished just stage managing Tasha. And it was a very controversial piece about a woman who was killed by the cops mm-hmm. in, um, in Virginia. And one audience member, you know, after the talkback was sort of yelling because she was one who expressed her thoughts. And it was against what someone, someone else was thinking. And <clears throat> it became very, very controversial, whatever. And I said, wow, this is kind of sad that, it, you know, it brought that out. But how wonderful it is that a theater piece could bring out so much emotion yeah. from yeah. someone. I mean, when I was growing up, one of the uh, pieces that I, um, one of the very, very pieces that made me want to get into theater was Inherit the Wind, hmm. which was basically about the Scopes Monkey Trial, but it was really a sort of a, um, th- a lot of writers in the 50s would do this. They would- uh, Allegories. They, yeah, allegories. They want to talk about McCarthyism, but they can't really say that, so yeah. they'll do The Crucible. Yeah. Or 12 Angry Men. Or, you know, uh, the Scopes Monkey Trouble, really, they're talking about McCarthyism. And I was like, wow, okay, so this is something different that's going on. And that's the type of theater that draws draws me to theater. Yeah. Um, I mean, what was the first piece, I'll ask both of you, that said, wow, that's something that really, um, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess it was, it was the improv games that, you know, sort of drew you in. But was there a, yeah. a very first theater where you walked into a theater um, and, I don't know, came out transfixed? changed hmm. let me think go ahead I, I know one of my favorite shows especially when I was younger um, was Jesus Christ Superstar because it tells the story oh, yeah. which everybody knows in a way nobody knows yeah and you jaw dropped you're like this is it because it was transcendent yeah Andrew Lloyd and, Webber in the yeah, 70s and, yeah and people and people were highly offended by the show like that's not the way you just, you tell the story it's like <laughs> or maybe it yeah. is it's a Christian story told by a liberal really um, hippies so you know as if it were hippies yeah and it was such a gem of the era too like it, it, had, it did have that whole um, yeah post war to post war era feeling there was a lot of that going on because Godspell came around at the same time although a little bit later, yeah. it's sort of a watered down version of um, Jesus Christ Superstar yeah. hmm. do you know the backstory behind Godspell? No, tell me. Um, it started, or it didn't start in Toronto, but it, it, its big claim to fame um, was the Toronto Company, and it was everyone who went went on to do Second City TV and SNL. And the original cast is like just you can name drop all the stars, and, it, and wow! You, and you watch the original clips, you're like, that is very young Eugene Levy. That is, very, <laughs> oh my God, he's Jesus. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Look up on the internet, Toronto Godspell. <laughs> yeah, cool. What about you, Heather? Was there? Oh gosh, Um, I don't know what I don't remember what it was called, but I think it was probably um, a a touring theater company that came to my elementary school Mm -hmm. and just did a maybe it was uh, yeah, just did like a a show, and I remember it just being really funny and really cool mm-hmm. and like and just thought like I want to do that I want to get up there and do that nice and they had cool masks <laughs> and costumes and they did this one piece that was just all movement hmm. and um and I just thought oh there's so many cool things you can do with theater that doesn't just have to be two heads talking <laughs> yeah yeah I was gonna ask about your son I mean he's six years old I mean is he involved in theater at all uh, he's not involved in theater um he does love to uh to 
he's he he doesn't he likes to do things until he's looked at. Which okay. is funny as oh, my kid. <laughs> he feels the eyes. He, but I think it's just that he's he's six and he's like he he wants like he's he really wants to do karate right now. So okay. that's his big thing. Got it. Um, uh, but he does love to play pretend and mm-hmm. be a pirate and be a spaceman. <laughs> very nice. And do all that stuff. Very very cool. Yeah. Be so, a monkey. <laughs> yeah. So where do you see yourself in the future? It sounds like you're not. As involved in theater as you were beforehand? No, I'm not as involved in producing um, shows, but I do have a company. Um, I hire performers okay. all over the country. So uh, if you're listening and you want a nice side hustle that is not driving Uber, <laughs> um, <laughs> I have a, a singing telegram company. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I started doing singing telegrams when I moved here because I didn't want to wait tables. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I wanted the freedom and flexibility to work on my own schedule yeah. and take gigs and be able to not work when there was an audition. Um, because there's, a, you know, uh, the auditions for the companies that don't pay well are always in the evenings. The yeah. auditions for the companies that pay well are in the day. <laughs> right. So if you want that flexibility to go for some of those other auditions it's really hard to to work those day jobs Mm -hmm. and I was temping and I was so tired of being somebody's assistant and filing things and all that and um one day I was flipping through the phone book back Mm. when there was a phone book (laughs) yeah back in the day yeah (laughs) and I just was like okay what else is there to do in like theater art entertainment I flipped to entertainment and I saw these ads for these singing telegram companies oh my god I can do that Mm -hmm. and I called them up and I auditioned for them and and I started working as a singing telegram and I could supplement that Mm -hmm. with um, every once in a while getting an industrial film that paid well or a voiceover Mm -hmm. or something like that Um, or uh, and anyway I uh, I scaled that eventually over the last 20 years and I've built a nationwide um, party entertainment wow, company. Wow, awesome. Yeah. And, uh, but unfortunately, during the pandemic, you know, it's the first thing to go is people stop throwing parties where they want to have Marilyn Monroe or yeah. Elvis or a nurse or, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, so, but, but right now I'm building back up my roster of performers. Mm-hmm. It's um, a, decent paying, a decent paying gig. Yeah. And uh, so put that out to your people. Hit me up. <laughs> well, sure. And if you have a, a website, we'll yeah. uh, definitely post that. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I was just going to say it must have, when COVID hit, and put a dent in the business. It must have, it must have been deja vu because you know the first day of rehearsal for Bet and Boo, September eleventh, two thousand one. That's right. Yeah. And you were coming off of a singing gig, telegram gig. That's right. I was. I had a singing telegram that day on September eleventh, and it was so awkward. I wasn't sure if I should go. I called my agency, like, should I go do this telegram? And they're like, I guess so. <laughs> and I went to this office and it was driving through a ghost town to like go to this office. And then I'm like, um, happy birthday on this awkward, oh, sad day. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and then every birthday after. <laughs> right. You know, it's funny. My memories of the marriage of Bet and Boo, and I've talked with this with Ray, uh, who directed it. People needed to let, I was surprised of the audience. I mean, you know, our first show was at this place. It was a, I'm sure you guys remember, it was a, um, a converted laundromat <laughs> turned yes. theater, the build. The and build. people had to go through the stage to get to the bathroom. <laughs> oh my God, I forgot that because I always yeah. remember the exit and like how lovely that space was. Yeah, that space was, was lovely. <laughs> yeah, was, eh. just step over the homeless folks and, you know, to get in. And, <laughs> 
Yeah, Travis Bedard, he, a good friend of mine, he used to be a sort of a, when he wasn't acting on stage, he was sort of like a bouncer or, you know, the doorman for the exit. But in any case, but yeah, I mean, people were just packing up, you know, in the bill to watch the show, The Marriage of Ben Boone. Then we mm-hmm. moved to the exit of Taylor. People needed to see it. People needed to, you know, to have that. And if you know the play, Christopher Durang, it's just outrageous black humor. Yeah, and I think that's... <laughs> Babies the... falling on the ground. <laughs> yeah. And I do think that was the key, because it was a time when dark humor did give people an acceptable outlet. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a reprieve. Yeah, and... but it was still dark, so we could still, like... It was like, dark. There's, so... the, there's the whole... Yeah. Yes. So it was, yeah. it was reflecting people's moods, but at the same time, it was that outlet to, like, mm-hmm. find yeah. humor in... And I guess there wasn't a such a thing as cancel culture, so there was no one who could be triggered or, you know, that that that. Well, people could be triggered. They just wouldn't, like, uh, blast us about it. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I, w- I was going to ask you, we've had a lot of women on the Yay actors and... Um, writers or whatever have you had to deal with um just um negativity i guess as a woman uh whether it be sexual harassment or or that sort of stuff oh certainly i mean i think all women have to deal with it and i mean people have to deal with it but women in particular we we deal with you know being taken less seriously mm-hmm. uh sometimes and yeah. then when we are in um positions with a bit more authority uh having that undermined like just as simple as like we're interrupted at a rate of like four times as frequently as men get interrupted and mm-hmm. when you're in a round table conversation mm-hmm. and then when you say when you assert that like you're interrupting me you're you're not an assertive person the way a man would be you're a bitch <laughs> and, no, and you've yeah. got an attitude mm-hmm. or like why are you so angry and the mm-hmm. same you know the same my male counterpart and i've done um startups as well like creative startups mm-hmm. and things related to other passions of mine like travel and mm-hmm. And bringing people together, like social things, and being on a leadership team, um, and being on a leadership team with a man in in theater. Sometimes mm. it's kind of um, it's never. I think men are you know woke, so they don't think that they're treating me differently because I'm the woman in the room. Mm-hmm. But they're just they're just trained. It's an unconscious bias. Yeah. And and they would be horrified if they un if they like unpacked it and actually realized that like, oh, I do kind of take you a little bit less seriously if I'm truly honest with myself. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm listening to my male counterpart in a different way mm-hmm. because unconsciously I'm kind of, like maybe I'm, you know, Maybe I'm intimidated by him because he's the same size as me. Like mm-hmm. we have different biases that show up in ways that we're unaware of. I'm I'm shorter than you, so you literally look down on me. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and it affects how we how we relate, and and we're just very often unaware. Yeah. And they were when I pointed out, like I'm like you, you're interrupting me frequently, and they're like, oh my god, I didn't actually realize I was doing that. Hmm. Things like that. Yeah. And then you know, um, just being at the exit theater, you know, walking in in and theater the theater buildings are often in or adjacent to rough neighborhoods. Yeah. And so, um, and the theater that I built was mid market and like we literally built the theater there and put it in. Um, I think you guys saw where we were, um, up on in pack Heights, but then we built our own space Mm -hmm. mid market. And it was the kind of thing where like guys can walk there and not think about it. And I'm like, okay, I am going to like walk very 
purposefully. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. So there's just things of just like knowing that in general, I need to be a little bit more aware of my personal safety yeah. in some neighborhoods. And, um, and then also, you know, now I'm getting older and I've never had the like classically, uh, like classic, like model fin body to mm-hmm. go out for the ingenue but like why does the ingenue have to look like that yeah like why does she have to be a size two right you know plenty of men like a size eight ten you know oh, absolutely <laughs> and so absolutely i do remember when we um, auditioned and, and we have the callbacks there was you and i and there was another couple and they were both very classically uh, attractive people and then we got the part <laughs> and we kind of looked at ray like what were you thinking he goes you're real like you know, yeah. he, he's like neither, neither of us neither of us fit the stereotype of what the part should be, which is why he wanted us because mm. these were unusual people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, but I do remember he very distinctly said, "Because you're real," and I was like, "Well, I'll use that in the future." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and a bubbly personality. I mean, you know, just I mean the the connection that you could two had just radiates on the stage. Um, yeah, we had that love disdain thing. <laughs> I love you. I just yeah. You. <laughs> But it's, you know, it's funny you t- you telling me, and like I said, we've had, you know, a bunch of women, you know, talk about their experience, uh, but you still have the smile on your face and it hasn't pushed you away from doing the things that you love to do. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, you know, we started the conversation about people feeling estranged from mm-hmm. each other. And I think one of my core strengths that I'm grateful for, mm-hmm. like, I think I'm just blessed that I was born with. This, these genes, this genetic, mm-hmm. you know, predisposition is that I connect with people. I, I, I love connecting with people. I, I, I have a talent for making people feel comfortable with me, and I appreciate people. And mm-hmm. I'm very verbal, mm-hmm. so I, I have an uncanny ability to find something good all the time, and then I don't shut up about it. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. so that makes me, you know, an attractive friend yeah like, because then i'm like oh i like being around heather she makes me feel good about myself yeah yeah <laughs> so. but i'm also hoping that the theater community because there has been a a revolution of sorts of um actors basically saying hey listen my autonomy or my uh my value i have far more value than just being the act the hired gun on the stage so i need to be treated with respect mm-hmm. whether it's you know um sex you know i'm a woman I want to be treated with respect, or I'm a black person. Mm-hmm. We had a guest, um, April Deutschley, and she talked about how she had a, a horrible experience uh, with a company because they didn't know what to do with their black hair. Mm. Oh, yeah, I read that story. Yeah, and um, and I tried to, you know, get the uh, director, producer to come on, and, you know, she, she didn't want to do it, or the company didn't want her to do it. But actors are saying, hey, listen, I'm not going to just put a smile on my face or be happy to take on the role or to be hired. I, I want to be treated with respect as well. So I'm hoping that things are getting better when it comes to, you know, as you talk about being a woman, being treated with respect, not being sexually harassed, and also not, you know, being undermined because you're a woman. So, mm-hmm. And I think that's actually the, the, the big one I see nowadays is the undermining of like, oh, like you said, a woman can have an idea and then a man can present it mm-hmm. and the man gets lauded for it. And you're like, yeah, I said it first. Right. Better. That uh, that happened in more than one occasion and where it's like, oh my God, six months later, we're doing the thing that I 
said we should do it. And I don't want to be the asshole that's like, I said that because then I feel like. But you have a right to do so. I know. But then I feel like it becomes this thing where it's like, oh, you're just looking for spotlight. You need credit. I don't need credit, Heather. I'm not saying like, oh, it was my idea. Hmm. But it just becomes frustrating because we could have been doing this six months ago and saved a bunch of money, like been onto something cool. Been on, you know, and Mm -hmm. like, and I'm just like, it's frustrating. Why did we waste all this time on the idea that we landed on, which I had first? Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it sounds like you're happy doing what you're doing right now. Like you have your own business, the singing telegram business. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're comfortable at home, you know, being a, a mom. But do you have the the urge to be on stage again? Do you have that? Is, is that mm. or is that that itch gone? Yeah, I think um, I'm actually performing tonight, which oh, is fun. Okay. I mean, it's at a friend's party. We're okay. doing a cabaret for yeah. for a friend's birthday party. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm excited to do that. Uh, when I stopped doing theater as much, I was doing a lot more um, uh, vocalizing and doing uh, like club work and stuff. So that mm-hmm. was kind of a weird left turn there. But I got really into working on music. And uh, I think it, I... I don't feel the big itch to go back to auditioning and trying to. I just think I've been out of the game for a while. So to like even well, sure show up with my resume to. that's like, <laughs> you know, a decade old. Um, and I'm really excited for my next career path, which mm-hmm. in some ways is not performing like for a, a, an audience in, in a way, but. You know, helping people connect and helping people, it, it'd be more like in the teaching role of, mm-hmm. and, and incorporating those skills that I learned in theater, that those true skills that we talked about earlier about yeah. dropping into what you're feeling and learning how to communicate that in an authentic way. Yeah. Because a lot of people are acting in mm-hmm. their relationships. They yeah. are pretending that they're feeling a way that they're not actually feeling. Yeah. And it looks like bad acting. It's, it, there's a book called The Mask of Sanity, which talks mm-hmm. a little bit about that. It was uh, written in the 50s, where people were sort of, I don't know, maybe during the t- time of the beat generation, where people were like, I need to be authentic with my emotions, instead of putting on this face, hey, I'm doing great, I'm doing wonderful, mm-hmm. when they're really not. Yeah. I mean, uh, I feel like, I mean, you are one of the better people I've ever worked with, Heather, as an actor. Oh. Um, you're, you're quite talented, but I've also seen you do the hosting work and, you know, and there's definitely a sense of, yes, you are performing, you're, you're, you're bringing a heightened sense of yourself, but you're also connecting people and you're making people enjoy the experience they're having right in front of them. And so is that Uncle Vanya? No. But, you know, <laughs> is it still acting? Definitely. Mm-hmm. And it has value. Well, thank you, though, Eric. That is so sweet no. to hear. No, and it's true. And that's why, you know, when Eric said, oh, yeah, I'm like, where is Heather? Where is Heather? And it's like, I know exactly where she is. <laughs> and I was like, we've got to get her on because, you know, like I said, you were, when I talk about your presence on stage, 20 years from now, I mean, how many act, how many productions do we know that we can remember from 20 years ago or the act or the actress 20 years ago? So hmm. just, oh, I love doing that show. That was definitely one of my favorites. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, getting back to just using acting or the tools that we use as actors to help regular people. I think it's so valuable. I mean, there are lots of friends of mine who'd studied acting and they were never a part of the business, but their lives were enriched because they take a lot of those tools, connecting, communing, breathing, you know, speaking truth, being authentic. When you talk to someone, those are valuable tools to know. And if someone can teach, use theater to teach or the theater techniques mm-hmm. to learn these things, I think that's a very valuable thing. 
Yeah. All right. Well, uh, it's 310, so... Uh, <laughs> this was so much fun. Thank you. Yeah. No, I, hey, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having us. There are a couple of uh, shows that I want to uh, push. Oh, actually, there are a couple of other things. So the San Francisco Bay Area Theater Critics Circle uh, gave out some awards, and yes. there are some folks who have been on the A who were um, given awards. Dominique Williams uh, won for Best Stage Direction for Lear. Sharon Shaw uh, won for Best Featured Performance Drama for The Paper Dreams of Harry Chin. Greg Sharpen, uh, who is the sound director at Central Works, he received an award for Best Sound Design for Dreaming in Cuban. Alan Coyne, who is in everything. Uh, it's in everything. <laughs> won for Best Dramatic Performance. And Tammy Berlin for Best Costume for the show Escape from the Asylum. So I wanted to give a congratulations to those folks. I, I want to give a shout out. Um, yes. Gabriel Ross of the Custom Made Theater Company, my company. He mm-hmm. won Best Supporting Performer for uh, uh, references to Salvador Dali Make Me Hot. Ah, he there played the Coyote, which is a strange <laughs> role, and he nailed it. Amazing. Who plays Salvador? I think I know the guy who plays Salvador. No, Dali. there is no Salvador Dali. Oh, okay, never mind. Okay, I'm thinking of something. I'm thinking of something else. It's uh, references to references to. Got it. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Um, there's a stage reading, The Last Tram, which will be on May the seventh, which is tomorrow, one day only. Uh, Echo Yamamoto will be in that reading, so I have a link for that. Um, a group called Mountain Play is doing Into oh, the Woods. The, the Mountain Players. The Mountain, yeah. mountain Play. That's players. been going forever. Forever, yeah. Okay, got it. I will uh, correct that. I, I didn't know about those guys. In any case, uh, May 21st, June 18th, Eko Yamamoto will be in that. And Dave Moshler, who we've had on the show twice, is the musical director for that. So I want to uh, push that. Also, the Magic Theater is doing The Nigger Lovers, uh, May the 3rd through May the 21st. Tanika Baptiste is in that show. She is the lead actress for that. So check that out, the Magic Theater. Um, Best uh, Playground is doing Best of Playground, um, May the 13th through the 14th, two days. Bridget Dutta-Portman, a good friend of mine, has her play Gallows Humor in that show. The Altarina Playhouse will be doing a soldier's play, May the 26th through June the 25th. Sean J. West, who's been on the show, is directing uh, the piece. Fred Pitts, Terrence Smith, and Jake Fong, each of them have been on the yay. Uh, they're in the show. Uh, Sant- Sh- uh, Chanticleer's Theater is doing Six Degrees of Separation, April the 28th through May the 21st. Max Chang is in that show. Uh, the Los Alto Stage Company is doing one of my favorite musicals, Sunday in the Park with George. I'm a big Sondheim fan. And a friend of mine, Brenna Kimmerly, <clears throat> who was in my mini musical, Nia, will be in this show June the 1st through the 25th. Part in the train. <laughs> I live right next to Amtrak. Uh, South Bay Musical Theater is doing Singing in the Rain um, from May the 13th through June the 3rd. Melissa Bombuis is in that show. The Contra Costa Civic Theater is doing To Master the Art. As a matter of fact, they are doing it. They will end May the 21st. And Yubi Kabori is in that show. Uh, the San Francisco Playhouse is doing Chinglish, which I hear is getting rave reviews. That began May the 4th and it ends June the 10th. Sharon Shaw. Michael Baird Austin is in the show, and Jeffrey Lowe is directing the show. Berkeley Playhouse is doing uh, Becoming Robin Hood, May the 26th through June the 25th. Paul Plain is in that show. Um, Town Hall Theater is doing Crum- Crumbs from the Table of Joy, uh, June the 3rd through the 24th. Tanika Baptiste is directing that. And finally, <laughs> the Silicon Valley Shakes is doing an all-women cast of King Lear. That'll be July the 28th through the September wow. the 1st. 
Cynthia Logosinski is directing that show. And that's that. And um, there are a couple of um, podcasts that I try to push. Barry Graves, a good friend of mine, has a podcast called The Black Man's Heart. Check that out. Mallory Samara, who's been helping us out, help, help, helping us out with the yay. Her day job is KCBS Radio, and she has two podcasts that she is producing. As Prescribed, which is a weekly conversation with leading medical experts at UCSF's uh, Medical Center. And It's Generational, which is a podcast where she speaks to people from different generations on a particular subject. So check that out. Central Works has the Central Works Script Club, where you can download and read a play script and then listen to an audio interview with a playwright. There you go. And uh, we have GA jerseys, black and white, $30 if you want to buy a jersey and support the show. And that is it for my, uh, the announcements. Yay, <laughs> yeah, Heather, wonderful. I'm, I'm glad you came on. And uh, Eric, thank you for coming back again. Sure. <laughs> uh, uh, we're on all podcast apps. We're on Spotify. We're on uh, the Apple Podcast app. We're on Overcast. We're on Amazon Podcast. Just go to music.amazon.com, search for The A, and you'll find us. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Our Twitter feed is The A3. I'm at Reg Space Clay. Norman is at Hoosier Hoosier. Heather, I think you have a, a Instagram feed, Heather Atlas. Yes. And uh, is there a website or is there other oh, yeah. social media? For the Singing Telegram company, it's mm-hmm. Singing Telegrams Now, as in the old art, is available now. Okay. And also you can book seamlessly, just like you do for an Uber, and get it now. Awesome. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and um, we are casting, so you can do slash casting, or you can scroll down to the footer, and mm-hmm. you'll see our casting page. And uh, yeah, please do hit me up. I need awesome people. Fantastic. Yeah, if you're looking for a uh, gig and you have a great voice uh, you check, don't even have to have a great voice you just have to be able to sell a song <laughs> that is absolutely right you know what dave moshler told me that he is a musical director he was like do you rather work with great singers who don't really act or great actors who can sort of sing and he yeah. chose the latter yeah if you can own a room and you can make people feel joy and then you can eke out a little bit of happy birthday mr <laughs> president or you know there you go. a crazy gorilla singing happy birthday like mm-hmm. hit me up <laughs> There you go. All right. Thank you so much. And as Norman and I always say, we got to find a better sign off. And we are out. <laughs>